Hog Huddle Podcast. We are coming to you live from ugly an ugly day here in Dallas. You and I, Kyler, you and I are down here in Dallas for the for the Red Hat sales kickoff and, and just some meetings and stuff. But uh, good to be back on the show. I, we're doing a little bit late this week. Apologize to folks. We've all been traveling. But uh, how you doing, man? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. The the weather was much better when we got here, but it's quickly uh, deteriorated to a uh, not so nice uh, situation. Yeah, you uh, you are a healthy tan. You were down in Florida or something like that. Yeah, quick week, weekend trip to Florida, so uh, yeah, I got some, a little color for this time early in the year. Right, right. Well, listen, um, what we thought we'd do this show is uh, this is the week that um, Cube 1.10 comes out. Um, I've seen this miswritten as one, uh, 1.1 a couple of times. People forget that last zero. But uh, yeah, release 10 of Kubernetes 1.10 is out, and uh, we thought we would just go over some of the different highlights, um, you know, kind of walk you through what's in the release, um, both in terms of, you know, things that are now stable, uh, with things that are beta, things that are alpha, kind of highlight a few things. And then uh, obviously we'll point to some stuff in the show notes that uh, let you go dig into a little bit more. Yeah, I think one of the things that you can kind of tell how Kubernetes is getting you know, much more mature is everything's not a brand new alpha feature or tech preview kind of thing. It's like things are moving through the process. Some of the stuff's becoming stable. Some of the stuff's moving from alpha to beta, uh, that type of thing. Yeah. Yeah, the other thing that, that lets me know it's getting a little more sort of stable and mature is, is I'll talk to various press and analyst people, and they'll be like, you know, what's the killer feature? What's the thing? And you go like, oh, it's, it's, you know, it's just m- – plotting along you know yeah. you know certain things come along but there's there's no um i don't, know, I don't want to say there's not a killer feature but i don't think there is sort of a killer feature in this release it's just stability is always a killer feature right <laughs> that's true that's true where do you want to get started uh why don't we start with the uh api the the, the i think is the only stable or the notable st- thing that moved to stable in this release which was the uh api aggregation um basically what that lets the uh what it lets people do is extend kube and the kube api without basically modifying the upstream code to get there. Right. So th- th- this is sort of a big deal. Like, you know, in terms of killer features, I guess this probably is a big deal because the problem that you always are, are trying to fight uh, with any project is as the project gets more mature, as it gets bigger, you're always fighting between how much new stuff do I put in that may or may not be core to the project, and then how do I extend the project? And, and you're always fighting this thing of like, Keep the core kind of small, stable, tight, and then but but allowing things to to have flexibility as well. And this is kind of the the approach that they've taken. Yeah, it's that extensibility kind of has been the Kube motto from the beginning to make it work that way. Where yeah, if you it needs to go in a, a direction that's not core to the project that it's capable, but you know you're not you're not having a bunch of vendors or whatever committing code to the to the core to turn on a bunch of you know esoteric vendor features and stuff like that. It allows you to um, still present via the Kube API, but then bring in your custom resource definitions uh, to be able to expand the uh, um, you know, the API and, and what what users can have access to. Right. And, and I think CRDs are sort of the, the main use of this. So custom resource definitions, basically, if you want the scheduler or you want Kube to behave a certain way that's not kind of the standard patterns we have, whether those are long-running apps or batch or jobs or, uh, you know, anything along those lines, um, this is where you can come in and kind of do some custom stuff. So we very well may see people in in certain verticals or just certain, you know, specific use cases to their business writing to here. Uh, but the nice part of it is, um, you know, you don't have to worry about disrupting kind of core cube to be able to make those those things happen. Yeah, because the, with, the, with the CRDs, you can obviously, you know, pretty – 
name is pretty self-explanatory, right? We can create custom uh, definitions for resources to be used within Kube. Um, but then if you need to take that to the next step, you have this you know, ability to expand the, the API. So that way it's not a separate API endpoint. It's part of the, the Kube API endpoint. It, it's basically, I mean, as, as the feature says, you're aggregating the, the core Kube API with your third-party API to have it act like one for, for your users. Yep. Um, the next one we wanted to highlight was uh, around storage. So we now, you know, a little while ago, there was an effort um, in the networking side of things to build something called CNI or Container Native Interface, and that basically allowed all the SDN providers to have a standard way to plug in uh, to Kubernetes. Um, there's been an effort over the last uh, six months or so to do the similar type of thing in storage. And uh, so you'll see what's called the CSI or the Container Storage Interface um, now moving into beta and, and getting more stable. Yeah, this this is fits that model too, pluggability. So hey, if you you know you're you're going to provide persistent storage for a lot of the kube use cases, you know, you want it pretty seamless to the actual uh, developers or operators to say, hey, this this pod needs storage, uh, but then basically giving it away for Kube to get that storage, whether it's from a you know a, an EMC or a NetApp type thing or a software based option or however you're getting it, um, it making it um, you know nice and easy and just very pluggable part of it. So that moves now to uh, to beta. Yeah, no, that's cool. I, I have a little bit of history here. I, I uh, Back when I was at EMC and we were doing open source stuff, I, I tasked a guy named Clint Kitson, who is now, um, you know, one of the, he's on the board of the CNCF, real smart guy. And I said, Clint, I know you don't believe this, but at some point storage is going to, or containers are going to want to deal with persistent storage. Just go see if you can figure something out, even if you reuse some things that we used to use in virtualization. And that was kind of the origin of, of where CSI got started. So I have a little bit of fingerprints on this thing from a long time ago. <laughs> Very cool. What's uh, what's next on your list? Uh, Kube DNS. So um, if you've been working with Kube for a while, almost all of the uh, you know, kind of service discovery stuff uses DNS. Uh, some people are using you know external providers and stuff like that, but the most common that's in use is Kube DNS, which is basically just DNS mask with with a go wrapper around it. Uh, so there's been um, you know DNS mask has a bunch of vulnerabilities and 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 things like that. So we're looking to move to something more as a default provider, something more more stable and more robust, uh, which uh, Core DNS, which is a uh, project in the CNC, another project in the CNCF um, that's written in Go. So as of 1.10, this comes into beta. So it's been in there, uh, but now uh, that's moved into beta to try and make, again, Core DNS is built to be really pluggable, uh, to to interact with all these other components if you're doing microservices-type architecture. So it's a much more robust option than uh, than DNS masks, so it's good to see that moving along. Yep, always good to have uh, more focus on uh, on security and stability for something that gets touched like literally every single time you make a request inside the system. The next one, I, I guess I'll, I'll call sort of a mini killer uh, app, but it's, it's something that's going to be down the road. We actually talked about it briefly when we had Jeremy Eater on the show, and that's uh, this idea of expanding support for performance-sensitive workloads. And, and ultimately what this is, is is a new API that allows pluggability of sort of third-party devices, so things like GPUs or InfiniBand or whatever. Um, again, this goes to this idea of, uh, you know, don't keep adding stuff to the core of, of Kubernetes, but allow pluggability and, and so forth. And I think this is going to open up some new use cases. Yeah, yeah, definitely on the perform, you know, high-performance stuff, GPUs and InfiniBand are, are really common. And then just, I mean, what this really does is make it really pluggable way to uh, let Kube know about those devices and then take advantage of those in scheduling. So if you're scheduling pods that need GPUs, you know, knowing how many is in a host, 
you know, how many pods could be scheduled on those devices, all those types of things are, are kind of important. But like you said, without having to put that code right in the, the mainline kube code. Yeah, we were joking about this last night. We need a, uh, you need a bit mining uh, <laughs> scheduler for this, so that, <laughs> that might unlock that. Um, in the show notes, for those of you that are, that are looking at those, uh, Jeremy Eater, who, again, we had on uh, many shows ago, um, talking about sort of high-performance computing, uh, wrote a nice blog about this. He's been, he's been leading that SIG group, so we'll get that in the show notes as well. What else is on the list? Uh, pod security policies. So this is, you know, there's a bunch of different ways in Kube to do, um, you know, different security bits. And, and one of the challenges has always been with not just Kube, but containers in general is privileged host access. Uh, so generally the best practices are don't do that. Um, because right, they're just, pro- they're not VMs. They're, they're just processes. So if you're giving processes more access to the kernel than they need, you know, it's a potential attack vector. Um, so, you know, using, um, the pod security policies, you can much more granularly control what a pod has access to if you have to give it some sort of, you know, um, privilege access or, you know, if you only want it to run certain namespaces or, or those types of things. Yeah. And this is something from an OpenShift perspective. We, we sort of mitigated it a while ago. We, we've we've always kind of said you, you can't run root containers uh, or we sort of block them by default. But, um, you know, we, we do find a number of applications that from time to time need more privileges and um, you know, between things like RBAC and, and this, um, you know, having that level of granularity to provide to a host or a user um, is, is useful and helpful. Yeah, and I think the the way the community is kind of rolling this out is, is very wise, which we, we which we I think the container community is pretty um, careful when it comes to. Uh, tightening security, right? Because usually you tighten stuff up, you break things. Uh, so even when Docker started to turn on some more the app armor things, they're very careful about not breaking existing stuff. Uh, and then we see this, so the same thing with RBAC. It's like, hey, it's in here, but over the next couple of releases, you should slowly be moving to it. Uh, and I think you're seeing this here is that, hey, it's in here, start using it, start playing with it in your, you know, in your test environments or your dev and, and get comfortable with it so that way it's a smooth transition. Yeah. You know, the last one that we had on our, our list of sort of things to, to talk about, and, and again, we'll put things in the show notes so you can go take a look at all the features, stable, beta, and alpha, but was uh, being able to add identity to an individual container. So w- what does this mean? Because, you know, sometimes we get into, you know, isn't, isn't every container somewhat individual? Yeah, so that's the uh, token request API. It's a new uh, alpha feature that just got added with uh, 1.10. Basically, the idea is to replace service accounts. Um, so that way contain, you know, cause right now if you're using service accounts, um, you know, that's basically how you're identifying those pods. And if you have, you know, 50 instances, a hundred instances are all using those same, same credentials, uh, same identity. So with this, the idea is that an individual pod basically requests it's at, at start time can use this API to get a, a authentication token, um, which then allows you set policies on it. So if it's running on a specific node or something like that, where you don't want it to run, you have control over when that pod starts up and says, well, I need these credentials as well. Well, sorry, we're not giving them to you. Yeah. And I, I can see, um, you know, I, I could see this coming into play. A lot of times people would say, well, you know, if pods get replicated, shouldn't they always be the same? Like you could have a scenario where, um, you know, let, let's suppose the, the pods or, you know, the policy was assigned like, hey, uh, only run on this type of server, this type of chipset, maybe, uh, you know, these types of devices that, you know, are, are in a, uh, like a, a DMZ or, or something along those lines. And you could have scenarios where let's say somebody went in the data center, pulled out a server, moved it somewhere else, moved a cable. Like you want the ability to go like, hey, even if 
dumb or unintended things happen, I can still apply policy, you know, specific to where a, a thing runs for locality wise. So, you know, maybe a little bit of a niche use case, but definitely something maybe a, a security team wants to have in their back pocket. Yeah. And I think as the, the kube use cases expand too, that's where some of these things that, you know, may not seem relevant to the average user today, um, start to be more relevant, you know, say in future use cases, uh, things like NFV or something like that, right. that may become you know, really relevant. Yeah, I, we haven't seen a whole lot of just features for feature sake getting put into Cube. I, I think the community sort of fleshes out like, okay, who, who actually needs some of these things? And you know, was there a, a company that requested it? Or have you seen this pattern in the past? So um, yeah, you may not need it today, but good things to kind of have in your in your toolbox. Yeah, I, I think that's the the beauty of it. We're seeing a lot of the upstream development is focused on, you know, because there, there's a Pretty decent amount of people already using Kube out there um, and feeding back. They're like, you know, you know, it'd be good here. You know, what we're running into here, and you're starting to see those things make it into uh, the project too. Versus like, hey, barely anyone's using it, and we're trying to push our vendor thing, so we want to add this feature or something like that. Right, right. Well, and again, that's that's where the pluggability. You know, the the nice thing about the Kube architecture sort of groups is they've been thinking about this. They've been thinking through. Let's let's sort of learn from past projects. Maybe got vendor dominated or. Uh, you know, got instable because we tried to add too much to the core. So, um, you know, good to see, good to see this coming along. Another release that uh, that shipped uh, basically right on the quarter. So, you know, we're we're continuing to see this consistency of when it comes out. The flip side of that is, you know, folks get used to to doing upgrades every quarter and stuff. You know, if you if you, if you don't have those muscles yet, start working on those muscles. Yeah, I think it's a good. Te- it's a, sort of like you know, back in the day with infrastructure stuff and DR and and replication. Was, you know. Hey, frequent frequent DR tests and, and failover and replication are necessary to make sure that stuff works. And I feel like that's the kind of you know make sure you're doing things the right way. I feel like the upgrades fall into that too, where it's like if you're if you're staying on top of it, that means you're you know you're using good sort of infrastructure as code type policies. Your 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 environment's in good shape that you can uh, pretty regularly upgrade it. If you, if you're struggling to upgrade, then uh, then that's you know ind- indicative of other issues. Right, right. The other thing for those of you who uh, you know maybe pay attention to the show from from an open perspective, OpenShift 3.9 is releasing this week as well. So getting back on the cadence of, uh, you know, sort of one one release uh, for the, the commercial version behind the Kubernetes version. And again, the reason for that is, uh, you know, a bunch of bug fixes, uh, about 100 or so integration points that we do, and, uh, you know, testing and documentation. So, um, you know, for those of you that follow that, um, you know, 110 for Kubernetes, the, the community's out this week, 3.9 for OpenShift comes out this week as well. So anything else, man? No, I, no, I think that's it. Uh, it's, it's, already starting to look at the list of stuff that's going to go in in 11 and uh and then you know where it goes in for 310 for for OpenShift. yeah it'll be interesting at some point if they decide to renumber it to two but uh, for now <laughs> for now it's dot dot whatever so well cool well with that we're going to wrap it up folks thanks for listening as always and we will talk to you next week 